Hello and welcome to episode 136 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 40 of Bubba and the Batflip, and Bubba and I will be taking uh, listener questions. We got a bunch of listener questions, um, actually from last week when we uh, solicited questions, and so we answer those and some more this week. Obviously took a break uh, last week, just uh, to be honest, my, my mind has not been on baseball, um, and this podcast was probably the first time I had thought much about baseball and fantasy baseball. There are much more important things happening in the world right now, and just wanted to, uh, to take the opportunity and express support for everybody who is out there um, protesting police brutality, supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, across the United States. Obviously, this has stemmed from uh, just a terrible tragedy with the the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, and hundreds of other uh, Black Americans at the hands of of the police over the last um, uh, many centuries. And so, you know, I just wanted to express support. And, you know, just while it's been a tragic time, it's also, I think, been incredibly hopeful. Um, for me as well, just to see, be inspired by folks who are out there having their voices heard, seeing some of the concrete and systematic changes that have already happened with the defunding of the police in Minneapolis. Um, it just, uh, it's, you know, it's it's unfortunate that it's taken, um, you know, the death of George Floyd and, and others to um, to get this movement, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the change that that really we, we have needed to see for so long. Um, and our history is full of instances of institutionalized racism and systemic oppression, um, keeping black Americans and other people of color um, uh, from, from accessing the same power and the same um, resources um, that uh, white Americans have. And so the fact that we are now you know, moving forward, and hopefully we will see some truly uh, systematic and transformative change happen here, um, and we can start to live out our ideals as a country, because from my perspective, um, that is not something um, that that we have done. And the story of uh, Blacks in America is, is one that needs to be told, and I think needs to be heard. And so I don't presume to think that you listen to this podcast to listen to me talk about um, politics, but issues of, of justice are incredibly important um, to me. And that, that really is what, what our focus should be on uh, at this moment in time. So hope you enjoy the short uh, little break from all of that and listening to the podcast. Um, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, let's, let's get the podcast started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 40. Coming at you on a Monday, hoping for uh, some uh, some news from baseball because the owners are at it again. So that's always fun. 
You can find me on Twitter at BDMtrick and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazyToby. How are we doing, man? Uh, we're doing we're doing okay, Bubba. Um, I think, as, as everybody knows, there are much more important things happening in the world uh right now so we we didn't have the podcast last week but we're uh we're gonna we're gonna do one this week and um yeah so just uh just trying to you know baseball hasn't been necessarily at the forefront of my mind just been trying to follow everything that's happening right now big shout out to everybody who's um you know out there uh protesting um and just uh yeah i hope i hope we get some some systemic change here uh that we that has been long needed um, but that's kind of been where my head has been at, but it's nice to, uh, to take a little break from that and join you on the podcast this week. Yeah, no doubt. We'll talk a little baseball, but, uh, yeah, much more important things out there. There's no doubt about that. There's still a virus out there that's looming, looming. And, um, there's, uh, obviously the BLM movement as well that, um, hopefully things keep changing the way they are looking that they are changing. So that's very, very good. Um, but yeah, we got listener questions a couple of weeks ago. We had, we had a bunch. And we got a few more today. So I, I keep reiterating every time, the more listener questions you give us, there's a better chance you'll have a better show because we're just kind of regurgitating stuff if we have to make it up as we go right now. Just going to throw it out there because there's, really <laughs> no, there's really no new news. So if you guys want uh, more of a, a dictated show, throw questions, any questions, and uh, we'll have some fun with that. But And we'll do the best we can because we don't know all the answers to all of them. But we'll start with one. That's an easy one. This is a great way to get started. It's not even baseball related. And it's from the one, the only Yancey Eaton. And he asked, Toby, what's your favorite TV show? Yeah, so I thought about this one. I'm going to go, I'm going to kind of go with three answers, I think. The first one is, I would say my favorite TV show of all time, just taking everything into consideration, is probably Parks and Rec. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge Parks and Rec fan. And the reason why I say that is I'm not somebody who watches like movies a lot of times, like I'll watch them once and then I'll, I'll have a feeling about them, but I don't really go back and watch them again. Same thing with TV shows, but I've actually seen Parks and Rec two times all the way through and like halfway through a third time. Um, and so that, that one is kind of, is, is kind of in the lead, I think overall for a show. Uh, I'd say Game of Thrones. I know it ended poorly, but I have never been as excited for the next episode of a show as I was through through the vast majority uh, of Game of Thrones. And so absolutely love that. And the last one I'd say is uh, just for like, a, like, you know, Parks and Rec is fun and stuff like that, but for kind of a, a meaningful show, and I think just a really good show from start to finish, I would, I would probably go with The Wire. Um, so those are kind of the three that I would go for at this point in time. How about you, Bubba? What are you, what are your favorite favorite or favorites? Yeah, no, I'm glad you did favorites because I was gonna do the same thing. Cause it's like when people ask movies, music, TV, picking just one is impossible. Picking Absolutely. three is very difficult. So it's like, there's so much good stuff out there, especially these days. But, uh, I like the ones you put out there. Those are all very, very good. I've watched all of them and loved them all for me. I, I think I'm going to go with Breaking Bad, but I've started to have the argument with people, not argument, discussion. I should re start rephrasing that because I like to have discussions with people. Is um, I'm starting to feel like Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad, which oh, is very man. interesting. It's such a great show. But um, I'm going to go I've Breaking seen, I've seen the first two seasons of Better Call Saul. It gets better and better. Uh, yeah, that's what I've heard. And, and yeah, normally when I'm watching shows, I'm watching shows with my with my wife and and she's not that into it. And so... 
I like really want to watch it because I've heard such great things. So you saying that is going to, is yeah. going to have me watching. Watch it, it does start slow. Like I get the like trepidation to it, especially if you watch breaking bad, you're thinking this, but as it keeps going, it starts intertwining the breaking bad characters. And my goodness, like once he turns into Saul, he, it's like, it, it's, a, it's either the end of season three or four. Mm-hmm. He literally, the final thing he says in the seasons, it's all, it's, it's, it's Saul Goodman. And that's when it's just, <laughs> it's all good from the, I like, it's, it's awesome. So I, I'm like in that boat where I'm starting to think it, but I want to keep Breaking Bad number one until I see how they finish Saul. That's the okay. difference. So I'll go Breaking Bad for now. Number two, I like the Parks and Rec call. That's a really good one. Um, you have that one. I'll take The Office. I still think mm. Parks and Rec's better than The Office, but I'll go The Office. Um, I think it's still a great show. Obviously, after Michael Scott left, it went downhill. One of the most voted on um, things I ever put on Twitter was, who was the worst office manager after Michael Scott? So it just tells you how much many people <laughs> like the office. Like I, I had three characters there and it was voted on by like 1500. I felt like I was in the baseball pods all over again. <laughs> it was, it was hilarious. So I'm like, I, I asked people like ADP debates and get like 400 votes. If I'm lucky, this had like 1500 people. So um, yeah, I'll go the office there. And then number three, like I watch a lot of TV. There's a lot of good shows out there. The game of Thrones, the wire, this is this is fun because uh, Ozark. It's too new to put it up there. Yeah, it's, that's the thing. It's, it's not. You yeah, kind of feel like it has to be done. Good. You know to exactly because there's parts where you're like, okay, they could really screw this up still, but yeah. it's it's good right now. Um, you know what I'm going to go with? I, I just started the final season actually tonight because we got YouTube TV and it's on there instead of waiting for Netflix. Okay. I'm going to go with Shit's Creek. It okay. is especially in the time right now. I was actually having this conversation. Uh, people think I'm like, you know, an, an asshole at times, but I'm very sarcastic. I'm actually very like nice hearted person. Contrary to what people I think believe. you're, I think you're a very uh, nice hearted person. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I actually had this discussion with someone in the, in the world we live in right now with all the kind of darkness and doom and gloom at times and, you know, all kinds of craziness that um, Schitt's Creek, that was a great show because it had dry humor, had good humor, it had family, like love and drama. It embraced all types, you know, the, gay people, minorities, everything. And it, it brought everything together. So I thought it was actually phenomenally done. And it just wrapped up this year, six seasons, like 30 minutes each. First five seasons are on Netflix. And then the sixth season will show up on Netflix, I think, this fall. But if you have Pop TV, you can watch it now. That's out of Canada, I think, or something. But mm-hmm. uh, I'll go Shits Creek. I think it's very, it's, it's kind of a cult classic. I think people are buying into it now. It was very, very good. Very cool. I will, I will have to... Uh... I'll definitely have to check it out. I, that's my challenge is like w- normally when I have fantasy baseball going, I have like very limited, like I know there's, we get a question about interest later on, but yep. I feel like I have very limited interest and very little time. And I actually have more time I think now mm-hmm. uh, than I've had, than I've had previously, which has been nice because I've been able to do th- some things that I normally don't get a chance to do. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to take a, take a peek at, at that one as well. No, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I'm with you when I'm, if it was baseball season, I'd have, a DFS show in the morning, an article every day, doing like three bench with bubbles a week, and it'd be crazy. And I'm thinking all this time I have, like, we're, we're, it's it's a the good thing about no baseball, I guess, is having a baby in like a month. I've been able to actually do things without having to figure everything out. So for sure, that yeah, enjoy that, good. enjoy that time, Bubba. Yeah, enjoy that I heard time. That we we had a, a a small family baby shower this last week, and I heard that oh, from cool. I think everybody about three times. So yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a, it's the common common consensus. That's cool. But, uh, that's super exciting, though. 
Yeah, it was fun. It was good to see everybody, and uh, it was fun to kind of it all started setting in a little more. So it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, our buddy Phil Dusalt at Phil Dusalt twenty seven. He asked, I'm pretty sure it's directed more towards you, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> uh, You already loved Real Muto, for those that are new listeners to the show. Um, he loves Real Muto. Now he gets a better lineup with the NLDH. He's also one of all, the only NL catchers who will get extra bats at the DH. How early do you take him now? Just asking in case we end up in the same main event league. Uh, well, um, I, that's it. I do love JT Real Muto. It's true. Actually... You know, when you look at like my shares of players owned um, or the shares of players that I have on my teams, Real Muto, even though he goes very early on, is actually, I think, number two behind Drew Smiley for the guy that I have on the most number of teams right now. Because I have been a very big fan. I don't think this, uh, you know, I think one of the things is it'll be really interesting to see how things change. I mean, I think obviously this, the length of the season matters, right? In a shorter season where there's just an absolute scramble to those playoff spots, then I think, you know, Real Muto is more likely to have fewer days off and, you know, be be able to take advantage of the NLDH, you know, to be the DH in some instances, you know, even when there are double headers, potentially like catching one half and then DHing the second half. Um, so I really do think that there's some value add there. I think earlier on, I was kind of just trying to decide whether I thought he was going to be used in that position, but I think they have to do everything they can to put the best players on the field if they want to compete, um, and get as good of a playoff spot as possible in whichever scenario we have. And so I do think he's going to get additional plate appearances. I mean, I have him as my, I think, um, I haven't looked at my valuations for a while, but if my memory serves me correctly, I have him as the 29th most valuable player overall. Um, and so, and I, and I think he also, and, you know, and that is incorporating, you know, a little bit of a bump because he plays catcher, but I think you may even need to incorporate a little bit more of a bump to that, you know, given that. So I I could definitely see him, see taking him on the two, three turn, you know, potentially as early as that, um, chances are, you know, the more I think about it, the more I like waiting a little bit, I think in a shortened season with the NL West, I think. Um, I think Walker Bueller could be really, really nice, uh, you know, as a first round draft pick. And so drafting more towards the middle and maybe grabbing Bueller in that first round, coming back around, grabbing a second starting pitcher and then getting Raul Muto in the set in the middle of the third, I would, I'd be totally comfortable doing something like that. So I do love him. It makes me love him a little bit more, but my love was so strong to begin with that it's really hard to, uh, to top that. I don't know. What are your thoughts Bubba? do you, do you see a change in value? Cause I know you're not, you're not in love with JT Real Muto, but you, you know, you see the value in him. And so I'm just mm-hmm. curious if it changes your perspective on him at all. I definitely see the value. And that's one thing that uh, I enjoy. Well, one of the many reasons I enjoy doing the show with you is we, you open the eyes of things I don't look at in certain ways and so on and so forth. So that's fun. And I think there is more value in him. A couple of reasons. Um, watching the MLB network a few weeks back when I thought we were having a, uh, a new agreement in place, got all excited they had, a, they had Joe Girardi on the show, and they were asking him questions on how, as a manager, he would handle his a shortened season. And he says he's excited about it because the shorter the season, he can push his veterans more. He can play them more, like less days off for the veterans. He said pitchers are still going to have to do their thing because, you know, the arms, you can hurt those pretty quick. We've talked about that. Everyone's talking about that. But the position players, especially with the DH, he says, like, I can push Real Muto. He mentioned Real Muto, Harper, McCutcheon, like all these guys – he feels more confident, even with an expanded roster, 
to use them. Now, was it just you know hearsay and that could change? I don't know. What will other teams do? I don't know. But literally hearing the Phillies manager say it was a little bit of an eye-opener. Um, we also talked about uh, ADP changes and catchers. A lot of them are on the move, especially catchers with a, a stable position because at-bats are going to be king in a shortened mm-hmm. season. JT's going to get those. So there's a big plus there. And the last thing I'll mention is um, I don't know if you've been able to keep up with the uh, podcast because it, it's even hard for me these days, and I still am in my truck every day. But uh, Todd Zola and Clay Link's Friday show, the last few weeks Zola has been doing different things he's learned from the NFPC main event uh, winning team, so on and so forth. He, has, it's, it, he writes them for the site, but they also talk about them on the show. And this last week really started talking about how you don't need to go as stolen base heavy as you think. And it started to make sense because we kind of share a philosophy where we want guys that steal. Like we don't go hardcore into it. Like we don't go Mondesi's and Turner's per se, where we're mm-hmm. like Jose Ramirez is and some of those guys. But it started to make sense. If you go like three or four guys really heavy, then you really don't need to draft them the rest of the day because you can only get so many points no matter how many steals you get. And yeah. I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna do a disservice explaining it this way, but I'm trying to shrink it as much as possible from like their half an hour discussion on it. But I recommend people go listen to it because it, it was really an eye opener to me because I, I like to keep my guys balanced. And I think it's still not a bad philosophy, but it's almost like when you're say in round even like if you want to take the real muto in round three, you have more leeway to do that if you know in round four and five there's like these two guys that can get you 25 or so stolen bases. Mm-hmm. Like it, it always comes down to player pool and roster construction, like we talk about. But the way they broke it down to kind of explain it, because, you know, for a guy like me who doesn't take as much pitching early, if I get, I always try to get like, you know, maybe one of the three shortstops and then Jose Ramirez. So now I have like 50 stolen bases on paper. And then I go get one more guy that gets me another 20. So I already got like seven stolen bases within like the first four rounds. I really don't need to focus as hard. I still need to get more, but it's not as much of a thing as I, I think in my head I used to make it out to be. Yeah. So it made more sense hearing, you know, those guys talk about it. And that's where I can, A, start buying in even more to your two pitchers, but B, really buying into your real Muto take. And I think that's where I was going with this in this long-winded way of saying it. It makes more sense if you know where you can get those. Because we talk about getting home runs late. I think if we can still figure out stolen bases, I think it could be even more important. But that's just the whole thing I've been brainstorming throughout the day. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Bubba, you're almost there. You just said you can see the taking the two pitchers early and you can see taking the JT Real Muto early. <laughs> and that's like 50% of my teams is that structure right there. You got it. You're so well, close. Um, see what happens? You, we haven't had games forever. This is just like I'm, 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 you're slowly getting me. I'm slowly eroding <laughs> at you. That's essentially like how my analysis works. It's not that my analysis is, is particularly good at all, but it's just like the consistent hammering. I'm like water. You know, I'm like water on rock. You're like, like oh, man, it's just some water. It's just a waterfall. No deal. No big deal because you're the rock, right? And then all of a sudden, you're all worn smooth. You're like, you're drafting two pitchers. You're getting JT Real Muto. It's just, it's the way it works, you know? Slowly but surely. Slowly but me. surely, for sure. I love it. 10,000 years later. Yes, maybe by 20, after the collective bargaining strike in 2020. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> maybe I'll buy in. Okay, our buddy Mike Curlin, who I, I told Mike flat out, and I joke with Mike a lot, he gets my personality, so we're good here. I say that's the creepiest gif I've ever seen. Like, it's terrifying. But, um, oh, yeah, he, it's a very creepy gift. Yeah, it, it's, uh, just, think, it's a bit it much. Gray, I think it was Gray Albright at, at Razball who said something like, 
uh, it's the picture of uh, the microwave from the microwave's perspective of, <laughs> of like uh, when your feet, when your food boot beeps, you know, you look uh, inside pretty, pretty funny. Yeah, that is yeah, good. Totally. That is good. Yeah. So, yeah. So Mike, Mike asks, how did it feel winning a poker tourney on back uh, on the back of three sets of pocket aces throughout the night? I swear I'm not bitter. See, that's his happy face. That's Mars' scary face. But how did it, how did it feel where, winning the poker tournament on three pocket aces? If anybody should have got three pocket um, aces, it, it felt it great. Was you. It felt great. No, it's just a little background for people. So, um, uh, so people who were presenting at PitchCon, um, and shout out to Pitch Pitchers List and Nick and Alex and the whole team over there. I mean, they just have such an amazing uh, group of talented people um, who are there. So they put together, you know, PitchCon, and then they invited all of the presenters to participate in like a poker uh, tournament uh, the night uh, fr on Friday night, I think it was. Yeah, Friday night. And so there was like two tables of 15 people. So there was like 30 people there, something like that. And anyways, I ended up winning it. And I'm not like particularly good at poker. Like I played before, like I generally have like, you know, at least 25% know what I'm doing while I'm doing it. And, um, but throughout the night, I mean, the cards I was getting were just nuts. I mean, I had, I had, I got three pairs of pocket aces and I think four pocket Kings over the course of like three and a half hours of playing, which is just insane. Like that's just a, you know, it's just a run of cards where it's really hard to lose when you get that. And I got them in pretty, pretty good situations. Like I was up against our buddy, Yancey, I think, and, and I had pocket aces and, and, and I think he went in all in pre-flop or something like that. And so it was just, it's just one of those days where like the cards are what you get. So I ended up winning. So it did feel very good because it's like, oh, Toby won. So he must be really good at poker. Like, you know, but there was some legitimately very good player poker players who were there, um, who are much better than me, but I'll take my pocket aces and, and I'm not going to lie. It did feel good to get those because it just mm -hmm. felt so fitting because a lot of the people around the table know me as like the pocket aces guy or whatever and so just being able to like throw those down at the end of hand was uh was a lot of fun so i guess it was fitting maybe uh maybe it was rigged i don't know you'll have to talk <laughs> to pitchers list about that but um yeah it was it was a lot it was a lot of fun so i feel good i apologize mike um you know uh we we can't all be as fortunate as i was with my hands that night Yep, you. Uh, it it was validation for your draft strategy. That's the way I see it. Absolutely. Um, all things Detroit at Ligers underscore Pistons ask. Not sure how much MLB draft stuff you delve into, but would love to hear your take on who you think the elite fancy prospects are in this draft and where they'll rank among other elite fancy prospects. Keep up the good work. Did you look at the draft at all, Toby? Um, no, first of all, thank you. I really appreciate the keep up the good work. Um, you know, cause we're trying over here. Uh, but I, I don't really, you know, I think there's just so many different things that you can focus on at any given time. Um, and I, I'm not, yeah, so I'm not really focused on that because really that will come into play at least in my leagues and first year player drafts later on. And generally speaking, I win my dynasty leagues. And so I'm drafting really late. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm drafting later on. And I'm First never going to get these guys, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's just a joke. Oh, but um, yeah, so, so I, 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 don't, I really don't know. And, and we're, yeah. we get a lot of prospect questions because I think process questions are a lot of fun. And I'll definitely provide my perspective if I've done any research. But there's a lot of great guys in the industry who are putting on great work. You know, uh, James Anderson, I know you have him on all the time, always mm -hmm. doing great stuff over at Rotowire. 
um, Eric Cross at Fantrax, Prospects 365, Prospects Live. I mean, some of the video stuff that they're putting out there like is just fantastic and like getting it on ESPN. Shout out to those guys over there. So there's just a lot of great guys who are doing great prospect work who are going to know it a lot better than I will. And so I'll always point you in that direction. I'll give you my perspective if I've done some analysis. In this case, I haven't, but I'll always point you in that direction too because those guys uh, do fantastic work and, and know a lot of, know their stuff. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, James Anderson, he's been doing great work. You mentioned Eric Cross, Prospects 365. Uh, Chris Welsh, he does uh, uh, mm-hmm. Prospects 1 is great. And then you mentioned Prospects Live. I will just do a shameless plug. Episode 291, I had Ralph Lischitz on to talk about the MLB draft. So if you want to go back two episodes Ooh. and check that out. We talked about just in general the different size of the draft because of the, the they went to five rounds, how teams will approach it because a lot of guys mm. might go back to school instead of draft. But we talked about some of the big guys. Spencer Torkelson, probably going to go first. Like, I've heard his name a lot. Um, first baseman could play third base. Kind of an Andrew Vaughn type guy from last year who everyone loved. There's this big, uh, big lefty pitcher, AC. He looks like uh, John Rocker, but doesn't have his personality, thank goodness. Yeah. But um, he throws, like, high 90s with a filthy – Like he, when, when Ralph was describing his arsenal, it sounded like Randy Johnson, but in the build of John Rocker, it was terrifying. Huh. So um, that's something to keep in mind there. There's a third baseman, uh, Martin, who's supposed to be really, really good. Some prep players that are very enticing. Um, but Ralph talked a lot about how where guys are going to normal draft with normal slotting money and all that stuff might be way different this year. So I, w- I would say listen to that if you want. Go back. And um, another thing, and all these sites did great stuff, but I remember Prospects Live doing this because James Anderson, they had all the prospect people on. They had people from teams. They did a mock draft of the baseball draft where every analyst had one team so if you had three picks you had three picks you had six picks you had six so on and so forth and they recorded and videoed the entire like three rounds of the draft or something that'll be very educational to watch if you're curious and then like you said they're doing videos for espn they're also gonna do their own live show with ralph and a couple other guys doing videos and breaking down picks i I like all these guys in the industry there's tons of great guys Right now, if you want the biggest MLB draft stuff, I would go check out Prospects Live. That's just what I've noticed. They've gone hardcore into it, but they all have good content. But if you want the videos and everything, they're the only ones I've seen with with everything right now. So that's where I'd yeah. go. i check that out. And just to shout out, I mean, if you are looking for an episode, a fantasy baseball podcast on any subject whatsoever by incredibly talented people, you just have to look at Bubba's feed because Bubba's doing like three or four podcasts a week. He's checking off all these boxes for you. He's doing tremendous work. And I almost forgot to give you a shout out. You know, not only have you been on the Rotowire podcast, like with Jeff Erickson on Thursdays, but you've now pulled off the double within the span of like a month, also showing up on the Sunday night show with Scott and Jeff, which I think is just awesome and well-deserved for you. That is one of, if not the best, I think, fantasy baseball podcast. We, I was joking earlier on, except for ours, of course, but really yeah. like they're kind of, they're just uh, right at the top there. And so kudos to you for for being on that as well. You guys need to be checking out the stuff that Bubba is putting out outside of our episodes for sure. Well, I appreciate it, my friend. It was, um, like I told you earlier, very, uh, very cool and very surprising to get that chance. So uh, I, I appreciate it as it is one of the, uh, the big ones. But um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll keep it uh, keep it moving and see where it goes. But our buddy Comac, do he's always got something for us. Cody McDonald. Uh, we'll go since I just gave a long answer. We'll do. He's got a question for each of us, individual oh, questions. Yeah. So I'll start with yours. 
Toby, what is your favorite hobby outside of baseball and podcasting? So, Cody, I don't want to disappoint anybody out there who thinks I'm like some really cool dude. But uh, outside of fantasy baseball and podcasting, I mean, uh, the only thing I really do is hang out with my family and hang out with my kids. So I got to go with that. I mean, the things that I enjoy doing, I enjoy going on hikes. I enjoy like being out in nature is something that I enjoy, even though I am a, a homebody. My wife uh, jokes around that the that the quarantine is kind of like my ideal situation. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I just like being outside. I like hanging out with the kids. I've started reading again now that I have more time. And that's something that I definitely want to integrate, um, you know, more into my life just because learning is Learning is fun. Learning is enjoyable. So is reading. I've re I've read Harry Potter. We're through five of the Harry Potter books with uh, with my oldest. So that has been a lot of fun. And um, shout out to our friend Yancey. I'm seven pages away from finishing Guns, Germs, and Steel, which I highly Great recommend book. to anybody. Great yeah, book. I think we might have mentioned on the podcast before, but just a fantastic book, I think, and very um, kind of relevant to this moment as well. Um, so yeah, I um, I uh, yeah. So that's kind of what I do. And that was a, that was a really long answer for saying, I don't really do anything. Like that, Cody. I'm boring as all, as all hell. Yeah. I was going to say you're, 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 you have to soon be qualified to be a, like a, a new wizard for Harry Potter. Cause you put in the books and the, uh, and the movies you're doing it all. So I can only imagine when things are open back up, you have to be like going to, to the amusement parks with your kids. Like they're going to be over the moon about that place. Oh, I mean, like, oh, like open with the vaccine and everything, not just opened up. I mean, like, your kids would probably go bananas there. <laughs> well, I think it's like Universal Studios that has like the Harry Potter. It has like Diagon Alley. Yeah. So, oh yeah, I mean, my my oldest is just he's he loves it. He loves yeah. it, and so uh, and I and I've 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 really enjoyed the books as well. So it's been a all around a, a good time. So Bubba, but but your question from Cody, and I'm gonna I'll ask it here. Okay. I'm going to take over the reins here as host. Yes, Bubba, do it. What's the greatest golf shot golf shot you've ever hit? Now it's funny because he asked that and I play a ton of golf that's why he asked it and I love golf with a passion. Like I've never I it, it's weird cuz I don't have like that one go to like I don't have a hole in one. I've come close a couple times. One might be like really close. That might have been like my greatest shot I've had. Um but for me it's more like um the the shots were it seems like there's no chance. Like I'm like way out from the green. I'm not gonna get the yardage. Like way out. Like, there's no way I'm getting there. Next thing you know, like I just hit this shot, and it feels like, like you know, how did that happen? And next thing you know, it's on the green, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, I love, I love the short game. So when I can do kind of crafty stuff like that, I really enjoy it. But uh, I guess like, like the one or two times I can get to like a par five and two. That's that's kind of the fun because you're just gripping it and ripping it and praying, and it works. So. I guess that'd be it because I'm like not a fancy player. I'm more like a, a plotter. I, I love the game of golf because it's just you versus yourself. And um, it's more of a mental thing. And it kind of gets you away from everything else for a little while. And uh, that's where I love golf. I just, I don't have like that one. Like I didn't like make it like 150 yards out and drain it. I haven't had any of those, which is pretty sad to hear now. But um, yeah, there's really no one go-to, I guess. Maybe some long putts or something. I have, I have one eagle. That's my highlight. Mm. I have one. Oh, nice. So, well, that's there dude, you go. You gotta, yeah. Gotta I almost chat drove. That one I up. almost drove. Yeah, I almost drove the green on a par four, and I putted from the fringe for eagle. So nice. there it is. I made eagle. That'd be you, my, my go-to. 
does any of your fringe work include like a seven iron from the fringe? Like, oh, I do all kinds ever... of I do goofy stuff. You have, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll get weird with it because I'm a guy that I don't hit. People think I'm, they see big guy. He's going to hit it really far. I don't hit it really far because mm. the, the harder I swing, the harder it goes left. So mm. that's, a, that's a bad thing. Oh, you got so, a hook. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get creative with my, my play. Like I'll, I'll grab a club and like swing it three quarters. So it's a club like two clubs higher, as they say. And uh, I get creative. So it's definitely a mental thing with me. Well, someday Bubba will have to go to the uh, to the driving range or something. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but in high school, I played a lot of golf. I was nice. I, I was awful. I was I was <laughs> awful. But it's one of those things I think they say with golf. And I agree with this. It's like you heard you hit that first really nice shot mm -hmm. where it just feels so smooth. Like you don't even hit the, you barely yep. feel the ball hit the face of the of the club and you're kind of hooked. And so. Yep. I definitely had that. And like you said, it's fun. It's you against yourself. I mean, against your buddies too, maybe, but also like, yeah. you're just, you're like walking, you're just walking, yep. you're having a good time. Um, yeah, it's, it's very enjoyable. So someday we'll do that. Um, it'll be fun. That's one of, that's one of my go-to lines. Kind of like what you're saying there though, is because a, I don't care how good or bad someone is, as long as they're moving, like they're not just like dragging around, like, you know, from uh, Charlie Brown with his with his blanket, like yeah. I'm good. Like I, I don't care how good or bad you are. I'm, we're having fun. It's golf, but there's always the one shot, and I always go, "Yep, that's how you get to come back because you're gonna yeah. hit that one shot and know you can do it, and now you're gonna want to keep coming back no matter about the other hundred bad ones you had. That one shot. That's all it takes. So, Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Doug Fraley Jr. at Doug underscore Fraley was thinking of what the equivalent to a bat flip would be for a pitcher. I love this question. Scenario strike three to end an inning in a big game. Pitcher tosses his glove up over his shoulder as he walks to the dugout. First base or third base catches his glove, depending on which dugout. Thumbs up or thumbs down. What do you think, Mr. Batflip? Oh, man. I mean, I think I I think that sounds great. I haven't re I hadn't really ever thought about this before. But I feel like, you know, I feel like we've got it a little bit with some of the pitchers and the emotion that they show. You know, but I do think that it would be very cool for like individual pitchers, kind of like some players have started to have like kind of their own bat flips that they do a little bit. I mean, a lot of times they mix it up, but especially for pitchers because strikeouts happen so often, it would be pretty cool if somebody, you know, if, if somebody like after each strikeout had the same thing that they do, because I think that's something that we need to see more and more in baseball. And hopefully we're, you know, we're getting to a point where people like are embracing, like, you know, the fact that we have like, baseball players who show emotion and none of this like gotten written rules stuff. And so like, I think it'd be great if people, if, if batters are going to do bat flips and let pitchers do like their strikeout move, you know, like their equivalent of the bat of the bat flip, whatever it is. And, and I think Doug has come up with a great example of what one could be to end the inning, but I think there's a lot, there's a ton of other ones that people could do. So um, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all for it. So yeah. I, I say thumbs up and let's get creative and let's, Let's get pitchers doing the same thing. Yeah, I got the thumbs up too. I know, um, I think it's Stroman that does the shimmy off the mound. When he gets like the strike three, he does like kind of a little dance off the mound. That mm -hmm. that that that's one way to do it. Um, you can go full Kenny Powers for those that watch that. That but that could get a little wild and might make people angry actually. But uh, he celebrates strikeouts all the time, so that was a, another example. But there, I agree, there should be you should be able to show emotions on both sides of it. Because, Absolutely. you know, when you strike out that big bat, you thought you had no chance to strike out. You know, inside you're going, doing backflips. Let the guys have some fun out there. I got no problem with that at all. That, that, uh, 
Sounds pretty fun. Just got to keep the ball in the ballpark. No Trevor Bauer to center field things. That's the only thing. For sure. You know, what's been really interesting has been the like, you know, I was, I I always, uh, I wasn't a huge Jack Flaherty fan just because of like, because of what he did with Ronald Acuna, Mm -hmm. you know, where he was like, just, you know, just, I just felt like his response there, just everything, what he said on Twitter and all that stuff was just, not i just didn't enjoy it right because i want people to be encouraged to kind of do those types of things but man he has really revolutionized his twitter game recently on all fronts you know like he's just been uh uh, it's really hard not to like the guy after after the last little bit so um for sure yeah let's let's get emotion in the game we need that right we're all we're all emotional people and we need an outlet and baseball is a great outlet and let's let's see some emotion in the game that's what that's what we see highlights of. We don't see highlights of like, oh, guess what? Yeah, you know, exactly. There's a, boring, there's a boring strikeout, you know? Come on, everybody's exactly. doing that these days. Even Marcus Stroman, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Dinkerball yeah. pitcher. No, Flaherty, uh, I actually started following now because I respect the game so much. I was getting just blown away with it. I'm like, this is – and we're seeing it. And it's a lot of the young kids with personalities that they're doing. So let, let's let's go. Let's do this. Absolutely. Um, Rob DiPietro at Deadpool Hitter on Twitter. Have you noticed any 80 or 100 game stretches of stats in recent years that might be noteworthy? Streaky home run hitters, league winners, or avoid because of volatility, favor the home run hitters, and higher contact percentages. I'll just say real quick I've seen different people tweet out different things and done the research on it to, to tell you it's something to live by for fantasy. I'm not going to tell you to do that because you're not going to be able to predict the streak when it hits. But uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that, you know, I think, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think the one thing that I love about what Rob said is the higher contact percentage guys. I mean, for me, I know that that, that there's, there's people like, you know, it, people will say like, you're playing the main event, there's whatever, 535 teams in a shorter season, you know, somebody's going to hit the jackpot, right? Somebody's going to get a bunch of high variance guys and end up on the positive side of that. I I tend to be more of the mind of like, you know, what I want to do as much as possible is eliminate, eliminate luck as much as possible, you know, because I think like, yeah, with the, with the, with the season being so short, you know, it's called variance for a reason, right? It's not necessarily indicative of the actual skill level of that player. Sometimes they're going to be higher than their actual skill level. Sometimes they're going to be lower and then they're going to regress to the mean, right? To their actual true talent level. And so you really don't know, right? With a guy like Javi Baez, you could get the first half of this, of his 2018 season and just be absolutely on fire. And that will put you in a really good position to win. And that could happen, but you could also get the second half of his season, right? And you could also more likely than not get something in the middle where you're going to get some good games. You're going to get some bad games. So for me, what I'm trying to do is eliminate as much as possible, um, luck from the equation. Now, luck is going to play into it a lot. Like the shorter the season, the more luck is going to play into it. But I want what I want to do, like guys with higher contact percentages, guys who are putting the balls in play, guys who are getting on base. Those are the guys who can consistently contribute, even when they may not be at their peak. And so I want a lot of those guys for sure. And then I want to take some of the higher variance guys later on in drafts for me, like in a lot of situations, right? So like, I think, you know, and and it's not that cut in stone, but like, you know, your guy who has the skills or has shown over short periods of time that they can be really, really, really good. If they're available past pick 250 or past pick 300, then I'm I'm all for it because that's where I want to be taking chances on, you know, higher variance guys. 
I don't want to be filling my whole squad with those because then you're essentially betting on luck, right? You're betting on your, it's not just that you're betting on luck because everybody's doing that, but you know, I feel like with the approach where you, you know, you're drafting the best players and you're drafting those guys who are, who are fairly consistent performers throughout the year who have those skills, like you are relying on some luck in those higher variance guys, but you're not saying I'm going to get three big high variance guys early on and then hope and pray that they all three of them hit. Right. Because it's like the chances of that happening are maybe what 20%. And so you have 20% and then you multiply that 20% times 20%, which is 4%. And then you multiply that by 20% again. And so really what you're saying is if all three of these guys hit, which is less than a 1% chance that it's going to happen, like, then, you know, like then that, that's what I'm betting on. That's not what I want to bet on, right? Like I want to bet on a really solidly constructed lineup where if one of these four or five guys I've picked up in the deep rounds or off the waiver wire that have a higher ceiling hit, then I add that to the base that I've already gotten, if that makes sense. No, I'm a hundred percent on board with you. It's the whole theory. Okay. If you take a chance on one or two guys, it's just one or two guys. Every time you keep adding on to it, now you need all three guys to hit. Now you need all four guys to hit. You know how oft, how hard it is to get that many lottery tickets to hit in the same time? Very yeah. difficult. And that that's that's the way to, to think about it. Now, what I am doing is, is similar to what you're doing is I want that solid base early. I want the, the bats I can count on, uh, a couple good pitchers. I understand pitching is going to be – pitching I'm still really trying to wrap my – I really think you need a couple aces. But, man, it gets real tricky when you're thinking, okay, if it is a 50-game season – like what are they getting maybe 10 starts maybe like it's you're really grasping at uh some upper echelon type stuff or you just do you go to the streaming route do you go the you know middle reliever long man routes which we might see a lot more openers and like swing men because guys aren't ready that's something i still have to really dig into some more but from the hitting side of it there are guys you can build bases with and, and you can go that route and then looking at um the other night i was looking at adp uh from march 1st 200 on there are so many guys we've talked about on the show that we both like late that if you get that base early, I'd rather take chances late in the draft with guys that I could drop if I have to than those good guys early. So maybe instead of taking like two or three chances early, like a Lewis Robert and some of those other guys, I'll go get an Austin Hayes and, and some other, like an Ian Happ and some other guys late in the draft. And if it doesn't work, so be it. So that's kind of where I've been looking so far. Pitching, I'm still trying to figure out where do I want to go. Do I want to go really ace heavy? Do I want to make sure I get one or two and then play the game? That's up for debate. And then relief pitcher wise, what I told someone the other day on a show is for me, if you have two approaches you have to take with relief pitchers. It's either quality, get two or three really good guys, like just take the picks early, get these guys, you know, they have the job, so on and so forth, or quantity, get like four or five solid relievers, maybe not even all closers that you can move in and out. So it's a quality or quantity thing in that respect. Right now I'm thinking quality, but the pitching landscape is going to be pretty, pretty wild. Cause if you think about it, like uh, the best a team's going to do is maybe win 30 games. So what are you going to get? Maybe 15 to 18 saves. Cause they save about 60% of their games roughly. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and actually uh, Phil uh, Dusalt, who did the uh, question earlier on, he actually did a little bit of research looking back at the last few years, because I think that everybody's assumption is that there will be more variance in pitcher performance. But 
what he found is that there was actually more variance in when you compared to the aces, hitters. there was more, more variance in the hitters, which I think is yeah. really interesting finding. And I mean, the thing is too, like it worked both ways because it's like, you know, yeah, you don't want, um, you know, yeah, like there's fewer games. And so there's more variance maybe, but one or two blowups could really just tank your ratios mm-hmm. for the whole year. Right. I mean, you know, and so you really got to be careful with your streaming. If you're in like a roto league, if you're in an overall competition, like you really need you, you know, there's just, it's just very precarious. And obviously everybody's going to be dealing with that same context, but mm-hmm. it makes me even more, more likely, I think, to go starting pitcher heavy early on, you know, obviously two of them, if not maybe grabbing a third earlier than I usually would, because mm-hmm. I also think that with the, with the expanded rosters and with like plate appearances being so key, you know, it could be hard to get guys on the wire, but at the same time, it could also, there could be a lot of movement on that wire, like on a week to week basis. If you've got 50 games, you know, and you're assuming they're playing about seven games a week, you know, let's say like, yeah, like they're averaging six and a half. My math isn't good, but what is that? So that's like, you know, less, that's like probably seven fab cycles that Mm -hmm. you're going to get over the course of the full season. And so you can really squeeze out a lot of value if you can get the right guys through fab in that, in that particular instance where I think with pitchers, it's going to be scary to stream guys in that context, you know? Yeah, um, no, because it, it's it, rough. Yeah. yeah. No, that's why I think, I think the, um, I'm not like opener long man type approach could like, you could have a, a long man, like a Ryan Yarbrough type lead baseball and wins this year. That's the kind of stuff you could see. So it'll be interesting to see that Phil, Phil DeSalt, um, thread was really really good i hope people mm-hmm. should go back and look at it because a lot of uh, very smart minds got involved in that conversation so it shows you it it it, it was insightful to many people so go uh, go check that out um zach at zach roto good uh, good buddy of the show here's a guy not getting talked about much at, at all with the dh adam duvall deep deep uh draft champions do you have any interest in a guy like adam duvall in a draft cha- i don't First off, Zach, I, I like I, it, but I don't think you want to do draft champions for 50 games. But that's just me. <laughs> um, well, and I know I've heard, I think you talk about Adam Duvall before um, on your podcast with Vlad, I think. Yep. Um, when you guys were talking about um, the NLDHs and what could happen there. Um, I mean, there's some interest there. Um, obviously, everybody assumes that Austin Riley is kind of going to be put in that position. Um, I do believe, uh, yeah, and I'm just looking at the rolling average graph here. For Adam Duvall, I do think that there was some changes to his approach towards uh, last year. Like he was, he's been, he's always been um, a low fly ball guy, but I think he was even there, even lower than usual. Um, and I want to, I want to say there was something like he got contact lenses or something. I can't remember what it was, but there was some. I think he did indicate that there was, there was definitely an approach change. A big, a big um, increase in hard hit rate, you know, close to nine percent, eight and a half percent increase there. Ground ball rate was down at twenty-seven percent. You love to see that. I mean, the challenge is you also had a sixty percent fly ball rate, but we know that you know over a small sample size, there's a lot of uh, a lot of noise in there. So when that line drive gate rate gets closer, probably to his career ever around twenty, you know, there's a lot of power potential there. The strikeouts are obviously scary. Um, you know, 30% strikeout rate last year, career, you know, 27%. So, 
you know, there's risk and reward with it. He's certainly worth kind of a late round uh, pick, I think, because the Braves lineup, at least the top half of it, could be very is is very good. And if he finds that bats there, then that would be great. I just think there's maybe a little bit too too many similarities with Riley. And Riley being the younger the guy, they're going to want to see how he's able to produce. But again, crazier things have happened, and um, it's a nice little little shout on a guy who seems to have changed his approach at least somewhat um, from uh, the previous year. Yeah, if you are doing draft champions or best balls, I can see the appeal. I get it there. Like 50 rounds, Duvall's super streaky. If he gets a hot streak, they might leave him in the lineup for a week or so. I get it. Maybe there's a week where they face four lefties, and he'll be in there for four days. But I also feel like you said, I think Austin Riley's the guy they want to give at-bats to, and I think he's going to give most of the at-bats. So that's that's just kind of the hard part is where does Duvall fit? And even with the expanded rosters, if he's only playing one or two times a week and you're playing weekly leagues, it's still hard to own the guy. So Jeff Champions, I can see the appeal. Other than that, it's it's tricky, but maybe, you know, an injury here or there, and he gets the, the door opens up for him. So I could definitely see something like that. Uh, our buddy uh, Sleepy Sleepy K, Mike Curlin, is back. He has a question for us. With the likely expanded rosters and no minors, who are some obscure minor leaguers we may see up? These guys would only be relevant in draft champions type formats, but players like DJ Peters or Will Craig will, uh, could get some run looking for those type of guys. Do you have anybody in mind, Toby? Uh, when I've gotten this question in the past, the guy that I've kind of gone with is uh, Jared Oliva. Uh, he's yes. an outfielder Pirates. with the Pirates. Saw him in the Arizona Fall League. He looked really good. I think the key with some of these guys is, you know, in most leagues, you won't have to draft them necessarily. But I think really looking for needs. And the thing that I like about Oliva, he doesn't hit for power. The batting average is is pretty solid. Uh, he's pe- kept the K rate relatively low. Um, but he's got speed, you know. And he's also 26 or, or 20. He's 24, almost 20 or 24 and a half, I guess. And so the Pirates are going to want to see what they have with him. And so with a guy like that, they're probably going to give him plate appearances. Like if you're the Pirates at this point in time and you're like, okay, I've got this 24-and-a-half-year-old guy on our roster who's an outfielder who's got some speed. We want to see how he does. And then you're also looking at like Jared Dyson. At a certain point, it becomes more valuable to find out what you have from Oliva. And so seeing a guy like him – you know, I don't know if Dyson's the best comp because I'm not sure if he plays center or not, but like a guy with speed, somebody like that who can fill a need later on in seasons. I think a guy like that could be really helpful. Um, there's another prospect that I like um, who kind of fit, who uh, um, it's uh, Kai Tom. Uh, he's on the Indians and he um, he was really good last year uh, in double A, uh, did pretty well in triple A, the Cleveland, you know, has some opportunities in the outfield there. And so, you know, he could be a guy who maybe gets some plate appearances. Um, but I think Oliva fits the bill for me just because he's a need guy. Like if you miss out on stolen bases or you need stolen bases middle of the season, he's a guy that I that I might look to if you hear any rumblings that he might get some playing time soon. Yeah, Oliva's been a name that I've heard floated around. That's a good one. Um, the ones that kind of stand out to me the most, it's like the Monty Harrisons of the Marlins, the Jazz Chisholms of the Marlins. Maybe they're not super deep, but they still don't have a job yet, but I could see them running into something eventually. So it's kind of hard to draft them right away, but deeper on, they might have a run towards the end of the season, especially if a Marlins team that's not in it. They might give them some playing time as they're going to get a year of service time anyways. You might as well start using these these kids. Um, so that's those are kind of the ones that stand out the most to me. 
you can dig in some more because the, the Mariners are now saying like Jared Kalinick won't be up, which I just don't understand that at all. But Marlins go or the Mariners go Mariners. That's pretty much, I guess, how that's going to go. That, that That's a frustrating one. But uh, yeah, you'd have to kind of dig into each farm system. But the Marlins are the ones that the Marlins, I guess, the Tigers, like, you know, got the Casey Mises, the Dan Dunnings, the Alex Fados, those three pitchers up there. Uh, they got some bats that are really close. Um, Ralph was Ralph Lifshitz was talking about their third base, but it's skipping my mind right now. It's just going to kill me. Isaac but, Paredes. Yes, Paredes. He was just drooling over him, and he got me so excited about him. He's a guy that he could see coming up this season and somehow having a, a fantasy impact after maybe not starting out with the team, but getting a good you know month or so running. He said he had such crazy power. So teams like that, I guess guess what? I, the long winded way of saying it is maybe look for teams that you know aren't going to be in contention or are going to have a real tough time getting in contention that have you know guys that are in AAA that are kind of maybe close to being there, maybe not sure things. Those would be the guys I'd look at because they might get a little extra run with an expanded roster. All right. Our good buddy comes back with another question here. Rob DiPietro at Deadpool Hitter asks, what are your thoughts on Matt Andrees for deeper leagues? I guess uh, Matt Andrees, Los Angeles Angels now, not the Tampa Bay Rays, for those keeping track at home. But uh, do you have any thoughts on Andrees? Um, you know, the thing that I like the most um, – well, actually, no, I take that back. No, I'm not really interested in him. Um, <laughs> no, I was for some reason I had it. He he used to be on the Diamondbacks. I was thinking the Diamondbacks. I, yeah, I last trust year, them as, yeah. An or, as an organization, yeah um yeah no there's not there i mean it's possible you know i mean the thing that i would be looking for is you know changes to um to velocity you know the challenge with him i think is that i don't really see anything in his pitch mix that's like super interesting um you know his change up in the past has been good but he's never really had a very strong secondary pitch and so unless there's a new pitch that he's rolling out. It's hard for me to see him being very successful. Um, and again, like we haven't seen any velo increase or decrease really from him. And if he goes into the rotation too, like he's, you know, the, the velo is probably going to go down from where he's been in some previous seasons. So that's all to say, like, unless I see a bump in, in a, a big increase in velocity, because he was only at 92.6 miles per hour last year. So unless I see a big bump in velocity or some sort of pitch mix change from him, I don't really see how he can he can take that next step, which isn't to say that he won't because we we never know. But I just don't see a lot in his profile um, that's points towards him being able to do that necessarily. Yeah, it's weird. The roster resource has him as the fifth starter for the Angels, which I guess is kind of scary if you're the Angels for one thing. Like I, I like Andres, but uh, he was getting used out of the bullpen of late. It's kind of been a better fit for him, it has seemed. Um, you mentioned his pitch mix. It's you know four seamer changeup. He sprinkles in a curveball here and there, so he's almost just a two pitch guy for the most part. And that's a, a four seamer changeup as your two pitches is not great either. So uh, that's a little scary. He gets hit pretty hard consistently, which is never good. And he's got a walk problem that it's gotten worse and worse for like three straight seasons. Um, I don't know. It's tough to say with him. I know we've seen signs of like you know good if you look at baseball savant, four seven one ERA with a three seven five xERA. So I guess that's something pointing the light the right direction. I need to dig in on um, dig on on some more of him. But his, his fastball velo average around ninety three, not great. 
but uh, not bad. For me, it's just you look at his where he's locating pitches, and it's just not not good. His changeup, he gets way too much of the plate. So if he's not painting that thing, he's probably getting hit pretty hard on that. So I uh, I'm not in on Matt Andres. He's going to be the fifth starter. Probably not going deep into games. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have him be the second guy coming in for an opener. Maybe throwing three innings or two innings to get a chance at a win. But um, I, I'm going to stay away from Matt Andres. That's my verdict there. All right, uh, 2020 Fantasy Baseball Draft with, I don't know, it cut off from there, so I can't help you, buddy. But uh, the question is, of Nate Pearson, Mackenzie Gore, and Spencer Howard, who do you see making and having the most impact in 2020? This is a fun question because we talked about two of these guys quite a bit, the third one a little bit. But what's your take on uh, these three young arms? Who do you see having the biggest impact? Yeah, this is actually uh, Joel uh, Joel from uh, the Cheap Seats. Oh, cool. Yes, which he was Excellent. nice enough to have me on there. Um, yeah, he, uh, so I, I think for me, it's uh, Howard, Pearson, and then Gore uh, for 2020. I think Howard, you know, again, like I'm not a, I'm not a scouting person. So, you know, I'm just looking at the numbers and Howard throughout his career has done a pretty good job of, well, he's done a great job of getting strikeouts. I mean, he's been successful from a tri- strikeout perspective pretty much everywhere he's been. He's also been able to keep the walks low. The K minus walk rate is very, very good kind of across the board uh, everywhere he's been. Um, so I like him a lot. I think also with the Phillies, that's a, it's a good situation just in terms of being on a, on a good team, a team that's going to want to win. And if he's pitching well, I think we'll get every opportunity to do that. You know, the blue Jays, again, it depends on what the playoffs looks like, but I don't think they're going to compete this year. I just don't think that they have enough pitching. You know, Pearson, for all the velocity, I mean, he's obviously supposed to be really good, but the strikeout numbers aren't necessarily off the charts. I don't have it in front of me, but I feel like there was only one stop that he had a strikeout rate above 30% in the minors. Um, He was only at like, I think, 22% or something like that, Um, either this year or the year before. Uh, The walks, you know, I've heard that he's fairly wild, or at least that his command isn't very good, but it hasn't seemed to impact him too much in the walk department. So I'd have him as number two, then Gore, um, you know, he's been, he's been good in every stop. I think obviously people expect him to be the best of this group of three for his career, at least based on prospect rankings. He's just so far up there, but I think he's young. He hasn't really pitched above. I think he just pitched a little bit of double a, I want to say. So I, I'm just not sure. And I don't think the role is as settled necessarily. So I would go Howard, Pearson, and Gore, but again, you know, check in with some of the prospect guys um, or people who have delved in a little bit deeper and know these guys a little bit better than I do. I'm just looking at, you know, the stuff that I tend to trust when it comes to numbers. Yeah, we're uh, similar rankings. I have Howard, Pearson, Gore. Howard, I trust his overall makeup as a pitcher at this point in time better. Like maybe a year or two from now, I'll put Pearson over him. But uh, Pearson's just, he's got a little more of a walk issue than, uh, than Howard and I, I just I, that uh, he reminds me of a better Dylan Cease, which is can be very volatile at times. So that that's where I'm at there. But Gore is the interesting one. I have him third right now. But if we find out it's a, it is a 50 game season because he was on the brink of maybe making a team, I could see them going with him. And if they do, I want Mackenzie Gore. This guy is electric. He did just dabble in Double A last year, but hey, Chris Paddock just dabbled in Double A before he came up. Um, you look at you listen to pretty much any prospect analyst. He's like a top two or three uh, pitcher 
in the, in all of fantasy baseball when it comes to pitching prospect and probably real life. A lot of guys think he's the best pitching prospect in baseball. So uh, I will take my chances on the fact if he does get the call, I will use this as my get out of jail free card. Gore would be number one for me if he's got a job with the Padres to start the season. I think there's lots wow. like there facing some of those teams in the National League West will help and the American League West uh, if they do the divisional format. So Gore would be my guy that would – he'd go from three to one and then it would be Gore Howard Pearson. So that's how I'd have it. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and I'm just looking back over the numbers because – but, yeah, I mean, uh, some of the things I said, Pearson definitely has some high strikeout potential there. Um, and Howard has had some walk issues in the past. So forget everything that I just said. That's why you listen to other people other than me. <laughs> uh, Lucas J. Beery at Beery Plox 33, uh, buddy of the show. Who's a sleeper prospect outside the top 100 you're really excited for in your dynasty formats? I will be honest. I am going to take complete the fifth on this one. <laughs> well, you know, Lucas, we are in the same dynasty league. And so I just, I don't know if I can answer this question. No, um, I, I will actually answer it with guys that are already on my teams. How about that? Um, not because not because I want to uh, avoid the question, but just because that's the reason why they're on my team. So I, I do have a twenty team a, tw- a twenty team dynasty league with pretty deep rosters, uh, twenty minor leaguers on each team, so it goes four hundred deep if my math is correct. Um, and some of the guys that I really like who are outside of the top one hundred for prospects. Um, so uh, Angel Martinez, he's a shortstop for uh, the Cleveland Indians. Um, he's probably owned in most deeper dynasty formats, um, but I think he was given a 50, a 50 grade by Fangraphs, switch hitting shortstop. I remember I saw, the, I saw his swing, a video of his swing. I can't remember who shared it first. It might have been Prospects Live, but saw that video and I picked him up right away. I just... Um, you know, Cleveland does a great job, I think, developing uh, infielders and, you know, there's, there's a bunch of them, but he's a guy that I like a lot. Um, Alexander uh, Mojica, uh, he only played in the Dominican league last year, but he had pretty much the best Dominican league season of a 16 year old. Uh, He's only 17 now. So he's really young. He's far away. He's kind of, from what I've heard, he's kind of a bigger bodied guy, but um, the numbers he put out, I think his WRC plus, I don't have it in front of me was something like 238 from a 16 year old. And so just putting up those numbers, I think is something that I like. And then another guy is Mason Martin on uh, Pittsburgh. You know, he's better in OBP leagues. Um, you know, he, he walks a lot, he's a masher, but he's a guy I haven't seen too many people talk that much about, but I think he's already in double a and everywhere he's gone, he just mashes. Like he just, hits for a ton of power and he walks a lot. So if you're like me and you're in a a dynasty league, that's OBP, I think he can be a really valuable guy, but generally like my process with identifying minor leaguers, it's nothing fancy, but throughout the season, I'll be checking the uh, fan graphs, you know, leaderboards. um, And then I'll look for guys who at a young age have really good WRC pluses for the levels, dig in a little bit more, maybe look at ISO or slugging, you know, and then looking at age, um, at different places for hitters. I generally don't have a lot of pitchers on my, uh, on my dynasty rosters. Um, generally just wait until there are guys who are closer to the majors there, but you know, K minus walk rate, K percentage, uh, just looking at those types of, uh, types of basic things are, 
kind of what I do process wise. So that's how I try to identify guys. And it's, it's been relatively successful for me. Like I'm definitely in a win all mentality in my dynasty league right now. And so I'm kind of trading a lot of the prospects that I get, but um, so those are three guys and that's a little bit about my process and what I do to try to identify them, which again is not anything particularly special, but that's kind of what I do. And then dig in on prospects live on the, on the minor graphs that, um, that Smata put in just to see if there's been changes in like ground ball rate or, um, uh, fly ball distance, things like that. No doubt about it. Um, I just did a mock dynasty draft for fan tracks and getting re-educated on some of these deeper guys was, was, was fun, but, uh, we have a similar philosophy and now we built the dynasty team. So that's good to hear. So very good. Uh, less than Dave at run DMCD asks, he has a few questions here. First one, Toby and I kind of talked about this before, so I'll apologize now, but what were the three biggest things you learned to improve your game from PitchCon? There's still a lot of things I need to watch from PitchCon. I have not been able to sit in front of my computer and do that yet, but it's on the agenda. Now it's on YouTube that I can watch like one hour segments at a time will help a ton, but uh, I will be completely honest. I have not seen much of PitchCon. I've seen like highlights and everything and heard all the great news and I know it's going to be great because we like did it or great. So I have most of it circled. I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Yeah. I'm in a similar spot um, uh, where I've only seen a, a handful of presentations. I think the one um, I really, I mean, obviously this isn't going to be anything new for anybody who follows me, but, or anybody for who follows him, but I really enjoyed um Alex Chamberlain's presentation at Dolph Haldhagen on Twitter. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably following him or you should be following him because he puts out just dynamite research all the time. I really enjoyed like how he displayed the data. He had a, uh, and I'm going to totally miss out on the name here. I should actually totally look up. I'm going to look it up while I'm talking about it, but he essentially just got really in depth about the differential, the differences between the different pitches and the outcomes and what they generate and like, what does it mean? And it, I just thought that it was really, it was put together really well in like a very intuitive way. And so I took a lot from that. Just, it just really highlights to you what, what a pitch mix change can do or an increase in velocity can do. Um, it just really, uh, yeah, it, it, it had a, it, that one left an impact on me. And so um, it was really, it was his cumulative distribution charts. That's exactly what it was. So he had these charts called cumulative distribution charts. And they essentially just like laid out, I think, in a very nice way, like um, essentially like what percentage of each type of pitch, for instance, it has an exit velocity, you know, under 95. And so with fastballs, it's like, oh, 50% of all fastballs when, when they're put in play have a, um, an exit velocity of, you know, under 95 miles per hour, comparing that to chains up change ups where 75% of change ups that are put in play have, you know, an exit velocity under 95, which means that they're very likely to be out. It's like just stuff like that I thought was very compelling. So that's the one that I took away, but like you, I was really busy at work Thursday, Friday. So I wasn't able to catch any, I had a presentation on Saturday. So you know, Thursday and Friday night, I was, I was working on my presentation and then the weekends I'm hanging out with my family. So it was tough, but again, yeah, like you, I'm really excited to go back, watch some of those YouTube videos. Cause they're all up on YouTube and, and check those out. I probably saw three or four, I think, um, over the course of the four days. So yeah. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, he's got many questions for us. So we'll get some good ones for him here. 
If MLB plays games through October in teams' normal stadiums, I assume that's the plan, will you downgrade hitters or upgrade hitters or pitchers playing in cold-weather cities? I am not going to go that far just yet. I see the purpose. We've talked about it. But to me, when we do the downgrading of the cold like to start the season, for me, the players aren't ramped up. I know it still affects the baseball. I get it. I know where he's going with this. But uh, I think if they've had a few months to play already, I feel they'll they'll still be loose enough to, uh, I guess, not pitch through it, but pitch more effectively in those conditions. Um, if in about that point in time, they're either pitched so, so good for me all season, I'm going to keep them, or I've already gotten rid of them. So I'm not really drafting to worry about the last month of the year. I need to get the last month, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think based on what the the owners have said, I, I think we're very unlikely to see regular yeah, season baseball. Yeah, they don't baseball. want it at all. Yeah. yeah, just because they're worried that, you know, all the money's in the playoffs and, and they're worried that they're not going to have a playoff. So that's very unlikely that we'll actually see that. I think if you did, yeah, I think you'd have to take it into consideration. It may be a place where like, um, you know, a, a projection system like the bat, which, you know, I think generally factors those types of things in more than say other places, um, you know, may, may give you a little bit of an upper hand, but um, yeah, I'd try to figure out a way to do that. I wouldn't try to overthink it necessarily. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think you, you need to factor those types of things in, especially if it's like a half or two thirds of the season that actually ends up getting played. Yeah. I think you're, you're dead on with that. So that's uh, gonna def- I, I yeah, it was today's proposal September twenty seventh. They they want to have the playoffs wrapped up by the end of October, like you're saying. So I don't I don't see that happening at all. Uh, another question from Less Than Dave. Toby, will you, me, and Phil DeSalt finish next to each other again in the main event this year, except this time you two will stay behind me and not pass me on the last day of the season? And how many main event teams will you have this year? Yeah, so last year in the main event, I finished ninth. Uh, Phil finished eighth and, uh, and Dave finished 10th. And, uh, it was, uh, I think I moved from, I want to say I moved from like 12th, something like that to eighth on the last day of the season, partially because, you know, I had a lot of pitchers going then, including Garrett Cole. So can't really like, you know, whatever, but yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. That's how I first got to know, um, uh, Dave and some of the, some of the, and Jake and, some of those guys. So I doubt, very, very much doubt that I will end up in the same position. I like your guys' chances. So I'll probably be where I deserve, like in the, you know, around spot a hundred and uh, you guys will be, uh, will be fighting it out there at the top, but I'm, um, I'm, I, I don't know if it's a 50 game season. I don't know. Right now I'm scheduled to do three with one of them being shared. I think me and my buddy still want to do that. Um, so we'll probably do that one and maybe, maybe I'll do one or two more. I'll just have to figure out. I mean, part of what I love about Roto is the long season is the grind and you take that out of the equation and, and it just becomes less interesting and the amount of luck that factors into it goes up. And so, you know, again, like I want to compete, I want to be in it, but, um, but I I don't know, it's a lot to put down for uh, a contest that will have a lot of luck involved in it. Yep. I understand that feeling completely. Uh, this is more of a joke from Less Than Dave because he knows the answer. He knows I'm not from Kansas City. But he says, Bubba, being a Kansas City native, do you think your Royals will be better than any other team than the Lowly Giants? What's the base, best place for KC barbecue? So the Giants will still be better than the Royals. I'll say that right now. 
And uh, I don't know. I've never had KC barbecue because I'm not from Kansas City. But I can show you a bunch of great taquerias in my town of King City. We have like 12 of them. So good. So, so good. So I can show you real authentic Mexican food anytime you want. But uh, mm-hmm. can't can't help you with Kansas City barbecue. I apologize. <laughs> yes. Uh, good old Dave with the troll calls. Uh, now, then he goes, Bubba, legit question. Do you now see this face coming at you in your nightmares? And that's from Mike Curlin's. Um, I just noticed that now. Uh, yes, I do see Mike Curlin's gif in my nightmares. Um, Toby, what specific stats do you look at um, and put the most stock into for a year-to-year correlation for both hitters and pitchers? For example, K to walk percentage has the strongest correlation to ERA. On a side note, do you happen to know who the top five over the last two years were in K per walk? Um, I don't really answer that question, but I imagine that they are among the first starting pitchers drafted um, on a regular basis. Uh, So essentially what I look at, generally speaking, is um, I look at K minus walk rate. That's kind of the holy grail. If you're interested in learning more too, I did um, the presentation I did at PitchCon kind of focuses a lot on that. But outside of that, I do pay attention to um, swinging strike rate a lot. Um, and I pay attention to some of the other metrics. Uh, I pay attention to CSW as well, just to get a sense of how much is coming from swinging strike rate, how much is coming from called strike rate, um, and why that might be the case. Um, I also look at K percentage and walk percentage just independently. Like I want to, you know, I want to have a low walk percentage, generally speaking, because I want to keep that whip down. Um, and that's kind of the most predictive year. It's more predictive year to year than any of the specific metrics, I'll look at percentage of pitches that were balls um, that a pitcher might have thrown. But again, I think a lot of these are a little bit more interesting, you know, within the season. But those are generally the ones that I look at. But I'd say I focus pretty heavily on K minus walk, swinging strike rate, CSW. Um, those are kind of the the go-tos, I would say. And then I also want just want to get a sense of like the combination of O swing, first pitch strike, and zone percentage just to get an idea of how a guy's control is, but I think percentage pitches that are balls also tells you that. So again, I think, um, you know, those are kind of the metrics that I'm looking to on a year to year basis that I think are uh, all, which all are um, predictive, uh, pretty fairly predictive on the continuum of predictiveness uh, year to year. I don't really focus a lot on batted ball metrics. Um, You know, I'll focus more on like barrel percentage That'll be the one that I really hone in on. I think more so with pitchers, just because I think it is the most predictive year to year for pitchers, but there aren't a lot of those metrics that are sticky year to year for pitchers. So I don't pay a ton of attention to them. No doubt about it. Uh, James at James underscore AG one. I guess it's a fun question. All things considered Uh, like with the recent proposal of the health ramifications, like Carlos Carrasco probably won't play this season. Like he can get paid and not risk his his life, basically. So that's one to think about. But James asks, are you shopping Mike Trout if you own him in a redraft? Uh, shortened season, and he said he isn't missing the birth of his son due in August. So what James is asking, if you've already drafted, you already have Mike Trout, you know if they play this season, he's going to be at the birth of his son, which means most likely, unless they change their rules, he'll have to quarantine again for two weeks. Maybe they'll change the rules by then. I have no idea. Mm. But there's a chance, there's a chance in theory, you can miss Mike Trout for like three weeks. Yeah, two I to three think, weeks. I think about that one. So I think that's why he's asking if you have him and they're not going to start the season until sometime in July. And then in August, he might miss two to three weeks. Then he comes back for September. Do you try to deal Mike Trout right now? 
That's a great question. Um, yes, I guess. I would say yes, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it, essentially the process that I would probably use is just think about like, and again, it's all kind of guessing, but just think about, okay, what is the percentage chance that, you know, um, that he misses games and then, and I haven't reviewed, reviewed the proposal enough, like, will he need to quarantine? So what's the percentage chance that he misses for his son, which it sounds like is a hundred percent. And so then it's like, what is the percentage chance that he's going to miss, you know, thir- three games, which, you know, let's say that that's 50%. And what's the chance that he's going to miss 14 games because he has to quarantine again, that's 50%. Okay. So then you like add those two numbers together and divide them by two and you get, you know, 17 games, divide that by itself. So you get like eight and a half. So, you know, that's kind of like the medium outcome is that he's going to miss eight and a half games. And then based on that, I'd try to think about where his projection is at and then try to see if I could get somebody who is still better than him. I don't think there's going to be a ton of guys that are better than him, even with him missing in a median type outcome, like eight and a half games. Um, but, you know, there's there might be guys out there and other people may be willing to take a little bit more risk. So yeah, shop him and and see, but don't, it is a very short season, but also don't forget how incredibly valuable Mike mm-hmm. Trout can be. Um, even even if if he was if I knew he was just going to miss three games, then you know yeah, not, maybe not a just a tad, yeah, like only for one of the other top three, maybe. But um, yeah, yeah, I think he misses at least a week, but I could I could see it lingering to two to three weeks potentially, which is crazy. But yeah, if you guys just need a, a point of reference here of how good Mike Trout is back in 2017. He only played 114 games. He still hit 33 homers, scored 92 runs, uh, stole 22 bases, drove in 72, and hit 306. So, and I believe he was like a top five MVP candidate. He is very, very good regardless of how many games he plays, as Toby was saying. So don't just trade him for pennies on the dollar. Make sure it's a darn good move. And um, and hopefully while he's out, you can replace him with someone because – if he plays two thirds of the season, it's still a darn good two thirds of the season. So, don't uh, don't be giving that kind of stuff up. All right, Guilds at the underscore Guilds G I L D Z asks: If this forty-eight game schedule comes to fruition, what are your thoughts on fantasy drafts already completed? Should these leagues be abolished and redrafted? Thanks, fellas. Um, I've answered this quite a bit. I'll answer it after you do. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, this is a really tough one. I mean, generally like with the 80 game season, I would have been like, no, but I mean, 48 games is just so short. And I think there is a considerable difference in the strategy. Obviously you can argue that everybody was in the same boat when they drafted, but again, like, you know, it's a significant change. I think it's difficult because, you know, for providers like NFBC, right? Like, it puts them in a very difficult position and I can see why they would, you know, want to hold on to those games because again, like they're trying to, you know, just, uh, they're, you know, they have a product and it's a product that we all value. So it's a really tough one. I think in a, in an ideal world, you know, I don't know, probably, but again, you know, I I wouldn't necessarily, I don't want to redo them, but I can see where people could be very, um, very justified in wanting to redo them. Yeah, I could see redoing them for sure, but I could also see not doing like it. For me, it's if the whole league, every single person wants to redo it, then yes, go for it. 
but there's gonna be complications. You mentioned NFBC, um, like barf is gonna be tough. I, I know obviously in person is never gonna happen, but um, it's just getting that many people to agree to a time slot. Uh, I mentioned it on the Roadwire show for people that do industry work. Once they announce the season, it's like three weeks probably that we're gonna have. It's going to be craziness so trying to book all these extra drafts and everything and make it work in everyone's schedules and be next to impossible and uh that's one of the things uh, even non-industry drafts just in general life trying to get 12 to 15 guys to to match a schedule in a three-week period you know how hard it is in january when your commissioner sends out like 10 options and it's hard to link up just one of those for the next three months to make it work so um it's those little things like if guys want to do it cool like whatever works for your league um, I, I agree if there's money on the line, it's a little tricky because you drafted with X expectation, but now you have this. But again, everyone drafted that way. So it, it's tough. I would say if you could redraft, I would redraft. But I'm going to probably have no redraft because I just realized it's unrealistic. So that's where I sit on that one. All right. Last question of the night. Billy B from Canada at Bill Bradley 44 asks, Tell me why Lance McCullers Jr. will be a league winner for your fantasy owners in 2020. I like this Billy guy. He's always got good questions, Toby. So what about Lance McCullers? Yeah, you know, I I kind of struggle a little bit with Lance McCullers. I know a lot of people really like him. I know a lot of projection systems really like him. Obviously, with the shortened season, he gets a little bit of a bump. But I still have major questions. I mean, the walk rate for his career is over 9%. He's prone. He's one of these guys who's prone to the blowups. Um, and, you know, we're also probably going to have the bounce, really bouncy ball, which we haven't necessarily seen him pitch that much with. Um, and so that'll be something he needs to adjust to as well. You know, he's never topped at, topped the 20% mark for K minus walk rate. He's never gotten higher than 18%. Uh, in that respect, he's obviously improved, but he's coming off a of Tommy John. His struggles have always been with control, you know, a high walk rate. And that's normally the last the, the last thing to come back. I mean, command is, but with a guy who already maybe struggles with that a little bit, uh, I'm, I, I have zero shares. I don't, I don't think I anticipate being in on him. But again, I can see where people are very interested given, you know, just the skills that he has shown glimpses of and, and, and the fact he's with the, with the Astros, with a great team. You know, all points in a in a good direction, but um, yeah, I'm I'm just not that interested in him, and I and I'm sorry because I I think uh, I think Bill is a fan. He is a fan, and I agree with the fandom. I get it. I, I wanted no shares of him in a longer season. The shorter season, I can see the appeal. I would still say if I have to give any words of warning, the walks do scare me. The ground ball rate helps a lot because he does get, he does decent strikeouts, decent ground balls, but the walks that's not good because with the bouncy ball. A walk or two, now the solo home runs turn into trouble. So that's always very, very scary. But uh, the other thing with the Astros, you got to think about it. They have so many options. You have James or Kitty. There's options in the minors that are just kind of on the brink. They might slow roll him to have him available for the postseason. They might not waste his bullet. Because we saw him in spring training, he'd throw like to three batters and they'd yank him. I think he made maybe two appearances before everything happened. They were slow rolling him into the season. I don't know how much he's really been doing right now. Obviously, he's probably staying loose. But, you know, a year after Tommy John surgery, they don't really want to push you too fast if they don't have to. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they handle him. It's something we learned in spring training, if that ever comes again, or summer training, or whatever you want to call it. But um, it'd be one of those, if you knew the reins were off, 
I'd be more intrigued because it's one of those guys, if he's like your SP four or five, it's volatile. Like you mentioned, I agree. A start or two could ruin your ratios. But he does have other big-time aspects to him that could be, be quite tremendous. So I do see how he could be good, really, really good. It is also terrifying that Bouncy Ball and Lance McCullers, they won't be friends. So that, that that's very bad. But all right, Toby, we made it through all of the listener questions, which is awesome. We appreciate them. More of them next week, please. That'd be great. Uh, any final thoughts, Toby? Uh, no, just um, thanks, everybody, for listening as usual. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, stay safe out there. And um, yeah, it's uh, let's again, let's hope for some uh, let's hope for some real change that happens here uh, in the next next little bit. Yeah, no, not about it. Uh, just keep things moving in the right direction. Hopefully people stay healthy, safe, uh, everything in all aspects of life. We get some positive news and positive change. So that would be great to see. But uh, Toby is on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I am at BDNTrick. Thanks for listening to Bubba and the BatFlip episode 40. We'll be back with you guys next week. That is going to wrap us up for episode 136 of the Batflip Crazy podcast. Thank you all uh, so much for listening. Again, um, hope this was a nice little, uh, little break from uh, everything that's uh, critically important uh, to our country um, and its future that's happening right now. Um, so yep, stay safe, everybody. Um, take care and be kind to one another.